This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The impact of cancel culture on First Peoples, or Native Americans. The natives of North America, uh, the first the First Nations, I think we might have been among the, certainly not among the first, but certainly among the most um, the most canceled, because there are many of us that, that we, we are invisible to many people. We don't exist. Our tribe, our heritage, our culture, a lot of it got erased. My colleague and friend, Ian Crawford, talks about his experience as a Native American. Coming up in this episode of Colors... The situation in South Sudan gets worse by the day. Well, as I speak to you now, there is a region, the northern region of South Sudan, is called Upper Nile region. Uh, There is an ongoing conflict right now. Uh, And uh, local people there reported that uh, about 3,000 people were murdered there. Abraham Awolich, one of the lost boys and co-founder of the People's Coalition for Civil Action, joins us with the latest. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Shonda Buchanan. I identify as African-American and American Indian, and I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan. My name is Juan Pablo Sanchez. I was born in Medellin, Colombia, and therefore I identify as Hispanic and or Latino. My name is Mindy Peterson. I'm a white woman from the Midwest. I live in a Minneapolis suburb. My name is JJ Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. We're talking with my friend and brother, Abraham Awolich. Um, the last time we spoke, Abraham, you were um, you, you were just back from, from Africa, from your home region, Sudan, South Sudan region, and uh, things weren't, weren't very good. So I think between then and now, um, you've traveled back to that region. Um, would you just tell us uh, what exactly you did, update us on your movements and, and what you've discovered? Well, uh, first of all, I, I went for a visit uh, to see my family and also to do some work with my colleagues who are based in the region and also within South Sudan. They are able to come out and uh, meet with us and go back in, partly because it is not safe for me and some of my colleagues to, to get back into the country. And what we are trying to do is to find ways uh, to help South Sudan to exit 
uh, the crisis that have uh, been uh, ongoing uh, since 2013, and it is essentially a crisis of leadership in the country. Uh, we have uh, we got our independence in 2011. Uh, today is 2022. We have not had an election yet as a country, and um, and people are fighting over leadership in in ways that are not consistent with the constitution. And so both uh, the opposition groups that are looking to take power, they they don't want election. They want to take it by force. And the president who is incumbent also doesn't want election. He wants to keep it by force. And as a result, the country is in 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 multiple crises. You know, uh, crisis of displacement crisis of killing and death and human rights violations and also crisis of uh of 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 eco- economic uh, crisis uh the, the the economy has collapsed so many young people are unemployed and uh public servants are not getting paid and so there are just so many crises at at different levels and the government has also been unable to contain uh, insecurity uh, and communal violence that are widespread across the country. And so the, the country is really in a crisis. And so we are looking for ways how best we can help the country to exit yeah. uh, this crisis, this multiple crisis. And Let to me go ask back. you a few questions. That's right. Go ahead. Let me ask you a few questions. Um, during your trip, your recent trip, you sent me a quick note and you said that things were really, really bad. Um, so we, we know from our previous conversation, you talked about people that actually had been hunted and arrested and a number of people had been killed and and people, uh, wounded and injured. Um, what did you see this time that made you think, um, things were really, really bad, I suppose, worse than what you'd seen before? Well, as I speak to you now, there is a region, the northern region of South Sudan is called Upper Nile region. Uh, there is an ongoing conflict right now. Uh, and uh, local people there reported that uh, about 3,000 people were murdered there. Uh, and it is a conflict that is so difficult to understand because the government is part of it. Uh, local armed militia groups are part of it and the communities that live there are part of it. And uh, it is a very messy conflict, especially in what we call the Sholo Kingdom, which is uh, one of the ethnic groups in in South Sudan. There is a fighting there that has been ongoing and many people are displaced. And you could hardly find people living in their own communities. People have fled the country and they have also fled to uh, UN protection sites. These are places where the UN troops are deployed. People go there to seek shelter. And uh, and so that is what uh, worries me, that uh, that conflict uh, is uh, has taken a different dimension and the atrocities being committed there uh, begin to worry me. Uh, they look like some sort of ethnic cleansing, and uh, and and there are so many players uh, involved in that. 
uh, one of the local warlords being supported by the government against a former ally warlord also uh, who who tend to, they live in the same space and they don't seem to want to tolerate each other. And so they form different alliances with ethnic communities and also with government and other opposition groups. And and killing is just what is going on there. Uh, and the killing is against the all local people, including fishermen, people who are just fishing in the Nile. They get caught there, get killed. Yeah. And so I'm very worried that uh, if that conflict continues that way, uh, the the likelihood that South Sudan could return to large-scale uh, ethnic-based uh, conflict is highly likely. Abraham, what is it that you and your colleagues propose to do to stop this? Well, we uh, in 2021, we had proposed uh, two things. Uh, one, uh, between 2017 and 2020, the people of South Sudan had a national dialogue. The national dialogue was to figure out how best to coexist as a people in the country and how best to reconfigure uh, the political uh, space so that uh, people can return to democracy. And they made a lot of meaningful resolutions, which if if implemented, could have united the country and, and, and put the country back on the path of stability. Uh, but the leadership in South Sudan rejected that because uh, the resolutions including included uh, asking the two leaders who have been at the center of conflict to step aside and to allow for new elections. Uh, so those resolutions were entirely rejected uh, by the government. And so we are advocating that those resolutions should be implemented because they hold the hopes and aspirations of the people of South Sudan. So that is one. Number two, we are saying that in the event that uh, uh, the peace agreement which they signed in 2018 and is not being implemented is not working, we need to call a, a roundtable conference. And for a roundtable conference, we are simply saying, let, let the citizens of South Sudan and various political groups meet to reach a, a, a constitutional agreement, an agreement that outlines the rules that will govern the country and the political uh, activities uh, that are agreed to by all the people of South Sudan, and now use that constitutional agreement uh, to, to hold new elections so that um, those who will govern South Sudan are governing South Sudan on the basis of people's consensus or people's consent. Uh, so that is what we have been calling for. And of course, the government doesn't like that. And that is partly why we got kicked out. All right. So that is not the only thing they've done in terms of kicking you out. There have been attempts on your life, the attempts on the lives of your colleagues and friends and family. And I'm wondering if you will just update us on your situation. I think you told me there was some a small piece of good news the other day. That's but, right. Um, I just wonder uh, how big of how big a news it, was it that took place, and exactly what happened. Well, um, when when we uh, issued a statement in January in uh, July 2021, the government immediately issued a arrest warrant for all of us, or 
issued a threat to our lives. And uh, and so we we immediately went into hiding. But one of our colleagues was captured, was uh, arrested by the government and detained for 17 months without trial. And uh, based on our uh, pressure, which we created with the international organizations, uh, a lot of pressure was put on government to take him to court uh, because we were confident that uh, there was nothing wrong we did. We What we did was consistent with what our constitution requires. And so he was taken to court uh, in September, and that court proceeding has been ongoing. Seven of us were charged of treason by the government, uh, including this man, that uh, we... We, the fact that we spoke out, that we wanted to agitate people, and uh, and so we were charged with treason and other serious charges. Now the court process went on, and the and the government was not able to provide any evidence of 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 what they allege, and so the case was thrown out entirely, and the and the court uh, unconditionally released our colleagues, and so now he's a free man. So by extension. That means we have no case to answer. The government was essentially trying to intimidate us uh, outside the law. And the court, um, in a surprising ruling, because normally the government sort of dictate what sort of ruling should come up. Okay. But, but the judges decided that uh, this, is, this is an important case for even them. Uh, the freedom of speech and freedom of expression were, was on trial. Okay. And so they rule in favor of, of the freedom of speech. So does that give you any hope that there is maybe even some small movement taking place inside the country in terms of pushing back against this regime and against the way in which the country has slid down this authoritarian slope? Absolutely. Uh, there were 50 lawyers that volunteered to defend our case in the court uh, they did not ask for a dime. They did it pro bono. And the judges themselves said that uh, uh, the constitution of South Sudan is important and must be protected. And those who use the constitutional rights that are given must be protected. And so that gives us a sense of hope and uh, and the support, the outpour of support when governor was released, the court was full. Uh, a lot of people came because they also believed that they they were all being put on trial for uh, for their freedom. And so we think that there is a, a, a positive uh, movement towards people uh, pushing for their space to remain open. You are here in the United States now. Um... And you're obviously here for an obvious reason. I mean, yeah, we know the story, the wonderful story about you. Well, I won't say wonderful. Maybe it was wonderful for us because, um, you know, we saw the resilience and we saw the courage and the strength that you and your your friends exhibited when, you know, you came here to the U.S. as a part of what we now look back on as, and, and you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You were part of this group called the Lost Boys, but you, I don't think, were ever lost. Um, you knew exactly where you wanted to go, what you wanted to do, and you plotted your course to get there. You're in the United States now, uh, and I'm wondering what kind of support are you getting here 
for this uh well well for the work that you're trying to do for the change that you're trying to affect in South Sudan? Well, I, I have friends like yourselves and others, uh, some friends in Vermont that have been very supportive, uh, including uh, Senator Patrick Lay and uh, and some of his staffers who, who have been very supportive, and some members of Congress who are sympathetic to the cost of the situation in South Sudan. But our objective really, my objective being here had largely been uh, to try to uh, influence the United States uh, to look at the situation in South Sudan as a crisis, and a crisis that requires support to the voices of ordinary citizens. And uh, and I have found that uh, you know the the American government, uh, because of so many years of interaction and and lack of progress, there is uh, generally people have lost interest. And so there is not much in the way of uh, support at the highest level of the U.S. government to the cause that we are advocating for. And But we are not giving up. Uh, we are engaging people in the State Department who are sympathetic to what we are doing and who are directly interacting with people on the ground uh, on daily basis and aware of, the, of what is going on. Uh, where we have not made meaningful progress, is is in the White House in the in the leadership in the administration. There is no movement at all in that direction, and so we we still uh, so we are advocating that uh, the American people should not forget uh, the people of South Sudan. They supported them to achieve uh, the independence that we have now, and we still have formative uh, challenges. You know, trying to form our state and to create the nation. There are challenges there, and we have leaders who, by no fault of their own, had little exposure uh, because they were denied education uh, in the old Sudan, and that's, that is the reason we had to fight for our freedom in the first place. But they found themselves in leadership position, and their vision for the country is limited, and their aspiration for the future of the people is is one that has not been uh, very uh, uh, has not been very helpful, and and the exercise of political freedom has been constrained, and so we we think that uh, continuous U.S. involvement is important. There is an obligation on the side of the United States uh, to support uh, emerging nations, especially nations that they help uh, bring to life. And therefore, that obligation is what we we are advocating for, that you should not forget and that mis mistakes are made and the mistakes are not for the ordinary people. These are leaders who make those mistakes. And if the ordinary people are not able to hold those leaders accountable because of the power structure that has been created in the country, uh, uh, they should get support. Um, so that is what we we are advocating for, and we are asking ordinary American citizens to support our cause, yeah. uh, uh, whether by advocating on our behalf or giving us any financial support to uh, to to strengthen our position on the ground, uh, to uh, to expand the movement that we are building for freedom, 
I think those uh, small things go a long way uh, yeah. in making a difference. So I'm disappointed to hear that you're not getting any real traction with the White House, especially with this particular administration. One would think um, that they would be willing and uh, engaged in um, every effort to reach out to individuals like yourself. Uh, and it's really interesting that we're having this conversation today on the third day of the Africa Leaders Summit, Leadership Summit. And I'm wondering, were you involved or invited at all by this administration to participate in anything? Well, uh, no, I was not invited, uh, although I had asked to be involved. Uh, but there was a side event that happened yesterday at the United States Institute of Peace, where um, a group of people working on South Sudan issues called uh, South Sudan Working Group had a meeting. And I, of course, I was invited to participate in that meeting. Uh, so that is very much uh my that that is how I got involved in that. But otherwise, I would have loved to uh, be involved in a more robust way, so yeah. that I can uh, explain to to people who have come to listen to uh, uh, to the issues affecting South Sudan uh, to see my perspective perspective that is different from others. Yeah. Uh, but there were challenges with that, and uh, which I understand. And uh, but I got involved uh, yesterday with uh, with this event, which I'm very thankful for. All right, um, Abraham, um, what have I not asked you about in this conversation that you think is important enough for us to talk about? Well, uh, maybe it's it's specifically the the role that um, uh, American people could play uh that uh i know south sudan has been on the news for a very long time for all the bad reasons including the fact that we came to this country as young people who did not have parents or people um guardians uh that was enough to tell the story of a country that we left behind but every human uh, tragic story has a happy side of it we got south sudan independence and we we have done our best here to take advantage of the of the generosity of the american people and also their support and we want to extend its support to change situation in our country so that no generation like us would leave their own country to seek safety across the oceans and we are afraid with the current trend of events we may see a new generation of people leaving South Sudan to seek safety outside. And that would sadden us, that would make us very sad. And so we really think that uh, we need to regenerate the support of the American people and their concern so that they can inform the government and, and those in Congress that South Sudan remains an important place and the people continue to suffer and we need change to take place. I think that would be awesome. Abraham Awolich, thank you so much for everything that you are doing for South Sudan. Thank you for everything you're doing for Africa and for the rest of the world. Now tell everyone what your organization is and uh, your title with that organization and how they can contact you. 
Well, uh, first of all, I have a, 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 a non-profit organization based in Vermont. It's called SUDEF, uh, S-U-D-E-F dot O-R-G. And it is, uh, I have been using that organization to provide humanitarian support back home and uh, support schools and hospitals. But the organization that I'm using for advocacy now is the People's Coalition for Civil Action, uh, a South Sudan-based human rights pro-democracy movement. Uh, it's called the PCCA in short. Uh, we have not registered that organization yet as uh, uh, to 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 receive support, but um, we can get support through the 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 Sudan Development Foundation. So thank you very much. All right, and, and your... of course I am I am the co-founder of the PCCA. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we will pass that information on on this program, and we thank you for again uh, to joining us to talk with us about these important matters, and we will continue this conversation. We will continue this dialogue. And I would dare say we'll continue this until the change in South Sudan that needs to happen, happens. So thank you again, Abraham. Thank you so much, my brother. Appreciate it. And, and my appreciation to all the listeners. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Ashley Kennedy Shelton, and I'm the president and CEO of the Power Coalition for Equity and Justice. I am a Black woman from the South. I am born and raised in Louisiana, and I still currently reside there. I think we're all um, dis- disheartened. Um, I mean, think think about how crazy it is that you know that I currently have less you know less rights than my grandparents. But that's across generations. It's not even like, you know, my generation or the millennials or the Gen Z years. Like it's across multiple generations that we have less um, rights. And we see it playing out in southern, st- southern states more, power, you know, more vividly than in other places because it's already our history. It's already our past. And so what we're fighting for is to stop the rollbacks. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors... Our next show will drop on Friday, January 6th, and we'll take a look at race in America in 2023. Until then, happy holidays in 2022. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for this episode of Colors. Thank you to everyone, especially Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher for the music. Thanks to Cosmic for the music. Thanks to Offshane for the music. And of course, thank you for listening and just remember keep talking to each other and just as important keep listening to each other you can subscribe to colors on apple spotify podcast dc podcast one or wherever you get your podcasts this is colors a dialogue on race in america